What's up, coaches? How's it going? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Powerlift. Again, we don't just like Powerlift because it has the word power in it. Uh, We also use Powerlift at Broken Arrow and Ankeny to design both of our facilities. They not only have a great product, they're also a bunch of good dudes. They don't come off as just trying to sell you guys things and, and not care about your program. They care about your program. They care about your weight facility. Uh, and you get to work with guys like former guest J.R. Conrad. Um, Powerlift is a trusted program that has designed the University of Oklahoma, University of Iowa, Baylor University, and modern-day high school's weight facility just in the last few years, along with many, many more. Let Powerlift take your unique needs and use them to design your state-of-the-art facility. From concept to completion, choose Powerlift. Powerful ideas, powerful results, made in the USA. Go check them out at power-lift.com. This episode is also brought to you by Sideline Power. Sideline Power is the industry leader in coaching communication. Offering cutting-edge technology and innovation, Sideline Power helps coaches around the country elevate their programs to the next level with new and used headsets, end-zone cameras, drones, portable sound systems, timers, and much, much more. Sideline Power works one-on-one with some of the most influential coaching and nationally ranked programs in high school football. They continue to help coaches push the envelope of player and program development. From NFL-level coaching communications to cutting-edge video technology, Sideline Power encompasses a full array of products needed to unleash the full potential of any program. Throughout the expansion of their product offering, Sideline Power has remained committed to offering quality coaching communication at price points for every program. They're family-owned and operated with a customer-first mentality. Sideline Power is truly the number one choice for coaching communication. You can visit them at sidelinepower.com. You can email them at info at sidelinepower.com or give them a call at 800-496-4290. We are also brought to you by SkyCoach. SkyCoach is a proven sideline replay technology that will give you the advantage over opponents utilizing anything else. 24-7 support, a flexible network that works in any stadium and any size crowd, and the most reliable, innovative software available. Again, at Broken Arrow, I get to use SkyCoach, and I get the butt shot of every game after every single play. Uh, During the next play, I've got butt shot from the last play. So I get to look at it. I get to get my guys uh, where they need to be. It's a tremendous help. It, you know, it's it's truly much better than than the wide shot, as you guys know from seeing after – after games, uh, now you get to see it during a game. To be the best, you must use the best. Don't let your team down by choosing something inferior. Sky Coach, the market leader in sideline replay. Visit them at myskycoach.com to learn more. And then last but never least, uh, this episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Team Attack Academy. Team Attack Academy is an online football development site for football players and coaches of all levels. It's the most powerful teaching tool introduced into the game today to raise the level of playing and coaching football. After using Team Attack Academy, your athletes and coaches will outplay, outwork, and outsmart their opponents, guaranteed. Visit Team Attack Academy at teamattackacademy.com. And that is all for the reads. On today's episode of RTP, we talk with Eric Cap. Cap is the founder and CEO of the program Athletics, with the goal of providing professional and collegiate athletic teams with the best leadership development and team building services in the country. Listen as we talk with Coach Cap about his experiences working overseas in the Marines, 
how to better develop effective communication skills with your players and coaches, and strategies for coaches to use to better develop leadership and ownership on your team, starting with yourself. We also had video from this podcast, so you guys can check out the video podcast on our YouTube channel as well. You can follow Coach Cap on Twitter at the program org. Hope you guys enjoy. We're here with with Eric, and it was something that um, we were with Coach Bartell, who's been on the podcast before, and and he he said. Guys, I don't know what you're doing, uh, but whatever you do, see if you can get this guy on because uh, we're trying to get the program on at our high school eventually because, um, you know, he, he's like – he does leadership at his, at his school and he's the head coach as well. So, um, right. he's like, this is a guy that I've dove into and we're going to do anything we can to get them at our high school. It would be awesome yeah. if you guys could get them on the podcast. So, so, we did. We didn't even think about it. We did. Then we did some research and we were like, wow, we're really glad that, that we could find a way to make this work. So, um, kind of how we started all of our okay. podcasts. You could kind of just give your background, your story, and then kind of now what you're doing as far as uh, I know with some of your leadership uh, with the program uh, in, in sports and in football uh, individually. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you. Yeah, first, yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I, I had the opportunity to speak to Coach Bartel uh, for a little while. I think as I was heading either to or from – working with Arizona football and I was laughing about it when I got off the phone because one of our one of my teammates at the program had had asked how how Arizona went coach Sumlin is a longtime friend of ours uh, that a lot of guys on that staff are longtime friends of ours and and so a couple guys we have one of our my teammates Jake McDonald who really is the lead instructor for just about all football events he had, had just had a little baby girl, so he didn't make the trip to Arizona, but he was obviously very interested to see how the event went. So I told him, and then he said, anything else going on? And I said, yeah, you know, I just had this conversation with a high school team out in uh, Seattle. And I said, dude, I go, I don't know if they can afford to work with us or not, but as far as the coach is concerned, that, that's the easiest sales I've ever made in my life. Like, <laughs> I mean, he, he was basically talking himself into working with the program and coach Bartel was certainly, he eats our cooking or, or I'm not sure who, who's going to learn more from who, but yeah, we're certainly excited to uh, go out there and I appreciate him giving me the introduction to you all and appreciate you guys having us on the, uh, your podcast here. But in any, in any event, I'm Eric Capitulic. I'm a graduate of the U.S. Naval Academy in Annapolis, Maryland. I played college lacrosse there. Uh, when I graduated, I served eight years in the Marine Corps as both an infantry officer and then in Marine Corps Special Operations. I was a platoon commander with First Force Reconnaissance Company. I served eight years on active duty. I left active duty. I went to business school at the University of Chicago, graduate school of business. I spent a year and a half as my joke goes, a very, very long year and a half in finance. And then I founded the program. And the program is a team building and leadership development company. We have one mission. We develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. That's all we do. 
is develop better leaders and create more cohesive teams. We do so through a belief in personal development, leadership development, and team building through shared adversity, and that we only grow as individuals and as a team when we are outside of our comfort zone. We are, this is our 10th year in business. In year one, I, I use that pronoun sparingly, but in year one, it was just I, uh, me. I worked with three college men's lacrosse teams. I called coaches I played for, against, with, and I was fortunate enough that three of those coaches took an opportunity to work with me. Uh, since then, now till today, now we work with approximately 150 college and pro athletic teams on an annual college and pro athletic teams and major corporate teams on an annual basis. So that's who I am. That's who we are as an organization. I'm kind of curious, what, what got you into starting this? I would assume it would have to be a little bit about your military background. I know me and Coach Walls are, are really into that and, and leadership and a lot of the books we read happen to be from, from guys that have been in the military. And so I would assume that was kind of where it came from. Where did it come from? What was your burning desire to help push that into athletics or, um, you know, like you said, corporate teams? Yeah. Well, I, a lot of now, a lot of people tell me, or they'll, they'll, they'll say to me, man, Eric, boy, the program, what a great idea. And I'll always say it is, it is a good idea, isn't it? It's not my idea, but it's a good idea. Uh, and the reason why I say that is the way the program started when I had transitioned from the military and I got out of finance, uh, and I knew I wanted to, to do something in athletics. And my original idea, I had been coaching, uh, assistant coaching a local lacrosse team outside of Boston. And it was at a prep school. And they had this really nice weight room. And really, they'd have like a science teacher in there for a couple of hours in the afternoon making sure... I don't know what, maybe that kids didn't kill themselves in there, or if a kid did kill himself, that at least there'd be a teacher present when it, when it happened, I guess. Um, so my original idea was, well, we'll get strength and conditioning coaches, and we'll have these really nice prep schools that have really nice weight rooms hire us out just hourly, because they only need somebody in that weight room from about 3.30 in the afternoon to 6.30 afternoon every day. So it doesn't pay them to have a full-time uh, strength and conditioning coach, but they'd pay us on an hourly basis. And that's how we actually made our first dollar in revenue at the program was doing that. Now, at about the same time, John Tillman, Coach John Tillman, who was an assistant coach at the Naval Academy, had just taken over as the head coach at Harvard, at Harvard men's lacrosse. He was an assistant at Navy. He just got hired and was the new head coach at Harvard. The last thing I did in the Marine Corps, I worked in the admissions department at the Naval Academy, which is funny because I barely got in there the first time myself. Now, the last thing I did was work in the admissions department, but I had just shown up working in the admissions department and 
my head coach, the head coach of that team, who had been my head coach my senior year, some lacrosse players got in trouble for something. And I, I honestly don't even remember what it was, but it was something. And the men's lacrosse coach at Navy had said, hey, Cap, can, Eric Capitulic, most people call me Cap, by the way, but he said, hey, Cap, can you come down here and just wear these guys out for a couple days? I was like, yeah, okay. So this is, I mean, I just left Force Recon. So I just said hi to the lacrosse team and then wore them out for the next couple of days as kind of punitive punishment over some you know, digression that they made uh, on, on some weekend. Well, the, the assistant coach of that team was John Tillman. Now it's a few years later. I had just founded the program. He's the head coach at Harvard, and he calls me up and says, Cap, I just took over you know, the, the softest team that plays the softest sport in the softest <laughs> school in the softest state. Like, I, I need your help. Can you come down here and just wear these guys out like you did at Navy a few years ago? So I said, yeah, okay. Uh, and he said, you know, how, how much is it going to cost? Now, at the time, um, I, you know, now we have these nice, you know, black collared program shirts and we have 11 pants and we all, at the time, I just wore gym shorts and a t-shirt, gray t-shirt with teams. I mean, my dad's a police, my mom's a school teacher. So when you start a, your own company, uh, coming out of the Marine Corps, you, you're with a mom who's a, with a dad who's a policeman, a mom's a school teacher, you're going to do it with something other than a trust fund. So yes. I was in serious credit card debt. So when he said, well, how much is it going to cost me? I was shocked that anybody was going to pay me to do it in the first place. So I, I was like, well, a couple hundred bucks, whatever, you know, we'll call it even tells. So I went down there and that's what I did. I just worked out with the team and just wore them out, did like, you know, push-ups and sit-ups with them and did some swimming exercises with them and that was it. But at that event, I realized I would call out some of the captains to come out in front with me. I was actually doing the workout with the team myself and I would call out some of the captains to come out in front with me to lead some very basic communication and commands and exercises with the team. And they really struggled with it. And from that first event, I realized, you know, strength and conditioning, they, these guys have strength and conditioning coaches. They don't need other people to get bigger, faster, stronger. But I did recognize a need for leadership development, which is different than teaching people how to be better leaders. In, at least maybe it's information bias, but at least the coaches that hire us, they already do a pretty good job teaching guys how to be better leaders. You know, hey, or come in and sit down and hear, this is what good leaders do. Here's some articles to read. Here's a book on leadership to read. All those things. And those are, that's, it's great to do that. But that's teaching leadership, not developing it. And I found that coaches who had hired us, who were very good at teaching leadership, I thought we were doing a poor job, and not even a poor job, just didn't have the, the expertise on how you develop leadership. And, you know, from that one event, we, as I said, we worked with two other teams that year, 
coaches who I knew personally from my playing career. And in both of those events, noticed the same thing. And by year two, we were completely different. By year two, we, I wasn't working out with the team anymore. It had nothing to do with wearing people out. It, it had everything to do with just putting people into leadership roles, putting them under some pressure, and seeing how they performed. Now, transition over 10 years, we've completely gotten out of strength and conditioning. By year three, we were completely out of strength and conditioning at the height for high school gym, for high school weight rooms. So my, my idea, uh, we would be bankrupt. My family would be bankrupt now off of my idea. So <laughs> three years, I mean, we were completely out of that business. And instead, thanks to John Tillman's idea of, hey, can you come down here and wear these guys out? We now, we, and I, again, I take pride in being the founder of the company, but as I tell everybody, yes, I founded it, but we made it what it is. We now have classroom training sessions. We have five different leadership development training exercises. And all of that has been because of my teammates who work with me at the program, all of whom are former U.S. military combat veterans. I would imagine over that ten, those 10 years, Coach, um, you've gathered a lot of data. Um, what are some of the, the biggest weaknesses you see in young leaders or, heck, it could be old leaders? The programs you've worked in, you know, you know obviously you're not going to give away all your secrets, but, you know, what, what's a little bit insight into some of the weaknesses you see a lot in leadership? Yeah. Um, let me start by saying that at the program – everywhere you go in, in, a, in a society, and maybe it's been this way in every generation, I don't, I don't know, yeah. but at, this is my generation now who's the leaders of this society, my age group, right? And I hear a lot of my fellow Gen Xers saying, you know, kids these days, and there's some negative connotation attached to kids these days. You'll never hear myself or any of my teammates at the program talk about kids these days. And the reason why is, and I'll just use one example uh, that some of our clients have heard me use in the past. I, I use the example of Corey Ross, who's the president of the program corporate now. Uh, Corey was... I'll, I'll keep the story quick, but he was caught in an enemy ambush in northern Afghanistan where his Humvee took a direct hit with a rocket-propelled grenade, an RPG. It blew the guy up next to him, just blew him up. Everybody else in the Humvee was knocked unconscious and sustained major injuries except for the driver. Now, the driver had sustained incredibly traumatic injuries. But rather than deal with his own injuries, he just kept driving the Humvee out of the kill zone to ensure the safety of his teammates. The driver was 19 years old. So you're never going to hear me or any of my teammates talk about kids these days and somehow have negative connotations attached to it. Because at 19, that's not my generation. That's, that's not 
coaches' generations now. That's one of the kids these days, right? And whatever issues you see with one of, quote-unquote, kids these days, yeah, it's not the fault of the kids these days. It's the fault of us, of parents, of coaches, of teachers. We're the ones responsible. I mean, th- think about the, the, the absolute silliness of hearing a parent talk about how their kid doesn't accept responsibility for anything. I mean, <laughs> think about that. That, that's, that. Your greatest responsibility as a parent is your kid. And you're saying your kid doesn't take responsibility for his action. Well, your kid is your actions. I mean, that's just ridiculous to me. It's ridiculous to us at the program. And any issue that we see with, you know, young people, as you just talked about, Coach, yeah, that's just, it, it, it's just a manifestation of our own generation as the parents, coaches, and teachers of them, Right. Now, with all that said, so let me talk about some of the issues. When we work with teams, what we're shooting for is for coaches to say at the end of our training, man, I hired you guys to work with my team. And as good as it was for them, it was better for me and my staff. And that's exactly what we're shooting for, okay? Mm -hmm. Because let me tell you the limitations of the program. Nobody from the outside can change your culture. Nobody can. And the program can't either. We don't change cultures. What we can do is help reinforce the culture that coaches are trying to change or implement. That we can do. We can help them do so. But it's because of them. Scott Frost at Nebraska, formerly of UCF, you know, they make at UCF, they make these great videos of their work with the program. And they give us a lot of credit and everything else. You will, oh, we appreciate it. It's good for business. There's no doubt about it. But you're never going to hear us say it. You're never going to hear us take any responsibility or credit for it. Because if we took the credit for that, we would have to take the blame for all the teams that go over. And we don't deserve either. Okay? Where it starts when we work with coaches. And with young people, I think first and foremost, A, there's a couple of basic rules I learned and that we learned at the program very early in our military career. First of all, the platoon commander is responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen in a unit. So ultimately, before any coach or team captain is pointing a finger, we got to make sure that before we're finger guys, we're thumb guys first, number one. Number two, don't ever ask your people to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Meaning, you know, we talk about, well, kids are on their cell phones all the time nowadays. Really? I've got a six-year-old son. When he and I go to the YMCA to go swimming and we're in the pool together swimming, and five minutes into it, I've got 14 kids hanging off of my arms as as my son and I are wrestling in the pool. What is every other parent doing? They're sitting on the sideline looking at their phones, just banging away at their phones. And believe me, where I live, they're not all brain surgeons. They're not all heart doctors. Believe me, okay? They're not on call. So I think that when we work with 
coaches first, what we're trying to highlight is if Monday through Friday, we're trying to have perfect practices. So something starts going wrong and the coach immediately wants to jump in. No, 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 stop this, stop, 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 stop. Yeah, but then on Saturday, the coach is stuck on the sideline and they can't do it. And then players have to figure it out. But if the coach has been doing it Monday through Friday, you've lost the you've lost the right to expect some sort of magical performance out of your student leaders come Saturday afternoon or Friday night for, for your high school uh, listeners here, right? Um, so when we work with teams, Coach Walls, what we do, everything that we do is based on the idea that talent wins games on and off the field. But making a commitment to getting that much better, if you were to put your forefinger and thumb two inches apart, that much better allows us to compete for championships. The way you get that much better is by making a commitment to being better team leaders and better teammates. That's it. That's how you get that much better. Individuals, your talent allows us to do well. Individuals can win games. But great teams compete for championships. And great teams, excuse me, and great teams are comprised of great team leaders and great teammates. To us at the program, team leaders are held to two standards. Number one, accomplish the mission. Number two, take care of your teammates. What does it mean to take care of your teammates? It means make every decision you ever make thinking about the team's best interest at heart first. On and off the field. Great team leaders are held to two standards. Great teammates are held to two standards. A great teammate, before I talk about the two standards great teammates are held, let me share with you one that we do not hold great teammates or great team leaders to, but man, we hear it from Maine to SoCal to Florida to Oregon and everything in between. Everybody always wants to talk to us about this guy. And guy, I'm using the universal term guy, guy, girl, women, man. This guy who gets bigger, faster, stronger in the offseason. He gives 100% every single day in practice, and he goes full speed every snap of the football. But he's just kind of quiet. He doesn't say very much. He leads by example. We tell coaches across the country, we tell student athletes the same thing. Stop saying it. You're lying. It's a lie. It's a fallacy. You're doing your student athletes a disservice by telling them that that's what they're doing. They are not. That term has been watered down to mean nothing, not just in college and in high school athletics. That term has been watered down in American society to mean nothing now. Because giving 100%, getting as big or faster, stronger as you can in the offseason, preparing as best you can, giving 100% every day and going full speed every snap of the football, that is not leading by example. To us at the program, that's doing your job, or more specifically, setting the example. And if you got a guy, kid, guy, girl, again, man, woman, I'm sorry, I keep, it's the universal term, 40% of the teams <laughs> with whom we work, female teams, by the way. But if you have someone, if you have a young man, a young woman, who does do those things, absolutely. I, that, it's great that they do it, and I'll give them credit for doing so but I'm not going to give them credit by telling them that they're leading by example. They're not. I'm going to give them credit by ensuring that they know that they're setting the example. And great teammates are held to two standards. And the first standard is 
you set the example on and off the field. But then great teammates get held to a second standard. They first set the example, but then great teammates hold their teammates accountable to achieving it. As we teach every student athlete, coach, team, corporate entity with whom we're privileged enough to work, we appreciate that all of us, all of us, not just the kids, us as coaches, all of us want to be well-liked. We want to be good friends. But you go to the movies with good friends and you go to battle with great teammates because great teammates set the example and then we hold each other accountable to achieving it. And by holding each other accountable, by demanding the highest standard out of each other, it's how we make each other the best that we can be. And either we do that Monday through Friday or the enemy's going to demand it come Friday night, but by then it's too late. Everything we do at the program is based on that idea. That's what we teach. That's what we help to develop. Whether that's with the student athletes or with the coaches, what are the greatest efficiencies? Leaders and teammates achieving those standards. How I love what you just said, and, and um, I'm still trying to process all of it because it is so great, but the, the big question for me is how do you tell, and I don't even tell the difference, is it birth, is it, what is it between a teammate and a leader? Is, do you ever bring teammates and make them into leaders, or is it something that for some reason uh, there's leaders and there's teammates, and that's kind of what they're going to be for the majority of their life? That's the role they are. The way that we describe, the way the program teaches it is you can be a great teammate and never be a great team leader. And, and that's, that's great. But if you ever want to be a great team leader, you've got to be a great teammate first. Today, you hear so much. I mean, my son goes, he's six years old. My daughter, by the way, is 14 months old. So the, the verdict is still out on her, what she's going to be like. But you know what, what's, going to be, what's going to happen with her? But my son's six years old. He goes to a nice you know, school here, a couple towns over from where we grew up. And even now at six years old, everything's about, you know, be a leader, be a leader, be a leader. I mean, your parents say it. I mean, constantly to, to be a leader, be a leader. I'll tell you what, if, if on my gravestone, somebody writes, man, Cap was just the best teammate ever. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and if they do it about my, if they say that about my son, I'm, I'm good with that too. I think one of the big problems you see, Rowdy, is in our vernacular, we, we use the term lions and zebras. And you can be a lion as a football player or insert any sport name there that, that you want. I, I know this is mostly for uh, a football audience, so we, we'll go with the football analogy, but it holds true in any sport is you can be a lion as a football player, but just a zebra as a leader. You, you just, you're, you're an ineffective communicator. You, you simply don't want to communicate. You simply don't want to talk. Or you, you just don't have those skills and you have no interest in developing them. You don't want to be the guy that steps out in front of the team when it's all going a heck in a handbasket. You, you, you just don't want that. 
and you can still be a lion as a football player. And we need those guys. But they're a zebra as a leader. Too often coaches, because those lions as football players are the best player on your team, coaches are demanding that those lions as football players, man, I need this guy to be a better leader. I need him to be a better leader. I need him to be a better leader. We work with a lot of teams. We get done and we're debriefing with coaches and we say, coach, do you really need him to be? Because he's going to go up and make some plays for you. There's no doubt about that. I mean, based on now we don't have it. The program has nothing to do with talent evaluation or that. But I mean, that's what coaches are telling us, right? Is, you know, that guy's going to make it happen come Friday night or Saturday afternoon. So we're going to say, look, okay, he's going to go make plays for you. He's going to go up and get the ball or, you know, to score touchdowns or to return touchdowns for, you know, whatever. But no, he's just not a leader for you. And by continuously demanding that he be one, he stops being that good a football player for you because now he's trying to do things that just he just can't do or just doesn't want to do. So instead, or I should say instead, not instead, but it, but rather, let's look at guys on the team that are lion cubs, because lion cubs you can develop into leaders. Zebras don't ever become leaders; they do not. Lion cubs. Cubs can become lions, and we need to develop that. So, and how? Do, what are we looking for first? Look for the guys who are the best teammates first at a young age, and then help develop those guys over the course of their career with you, so that by the time they are juniors and seniors, they're no longer lion cubs; they're lions as leaders. And you hope they're also very good football players because that's help. That helps give them even more influence. So that's the way that we, we look at the dichotomy between leaders and teammates. Do you, do you use that same dichotomy with the coaches, or do you at the program believe that all of the coaches need to be uh, lions and, and, you know, leaders? Generally speaking, which is always dangerous to say, But for my teammates and I at the program, uh, it's appallingly bad how coaches communicate. And if you are an ineffective communicator – I don't want to see, say you're going to be a bad leader. That might be a little too harsh. But if you are an ineffective communicator, you will, your leadership will be severely limited. That's not as a football coach. That's in any leadership role in any industry in the, in the world. If you just cannot communicate, you can still be a great teammate, but your leadership will be severely tested. For coaches, and again, there are some unbelievable communicators as coaches that we learn a lot from, who we work with and have the privilege of working with, that at the end of the event, as I'm flying wherever, back home or wherever it may be, I'm taking notes on things that they said to help me, myself, and my instructors are doing, our instructors, my teammates are doing the same thing. But by and large, for coaches, because they cannot get out on the field and play, 
then as a leader in an uncontrolled environment, Rowdy, and at the program we always highlight the differences. There's two types of environments. There's the controlled and the uncontrolled. Controlled environment is you control all the elements as a football coach. How long are we going to do this? Are we going indoors or outdoors today? How much break do we have? What sort of defense do I want to have set up in? Is it full go? Is it, you know, is it skelly? I mean, you, you control all the variables. An uncontrolled environment is one in where there's an enemy out there that wants to kill you, literally or figuratively, come Friday night. Well, if we haven't helped develop our leaders and our teammates in a controlled environment, then you just simply can't expect them to perform as leaders and teammates in an uncontrolled environment. For us as leaders, we can do everything in a controlled environment. The problem is we can't when it gets to the uncontrolled. In the uncontrolled, we got to stand on the sidelines. And in the uncontrolled environment, the one thing that we still have the ability to do is communicate. And how we communicate is our most vital resource to the success of our position group and or our organization, our team as a whole, in that uncontrolled environment as a leader, as a coach, okay? And most coaches, a lot, I shouldn't say most, that, that's wrong. A lot of coaches completely miss the opportunity. I'll give you a few examples. Number one offensively we put together a 12 play drive we score a touchdown we kick the ball off they receive it it gets run back on us the same coaches who are yelling about to players about the importance of how they deal with sudden change these same coaches when that ball gets run back on us are ripping their headsets off and throwing it on the sidelines again a coach is, getting back to what I said earlier, first of all, don't ask your Marines to do something you're not willing to do yourself. Well, insert players with that same term. Don't ask your players to do something that you're unwilling to do yourself, number one. More importantly, or just as importantly, when you're standing on the sideline, how you're communicating, you're either giving confidence or taking confidence away from the team. As a coach, we have to make controlled environments appear as uncontrolled as possible and make uncontrolled environments appear as controlled as possible. How do we do so as a coach? One way, how we communicate. And a lot of coaches miss, miss the mark on that, Rowdy. And it's the one area that when we work with teams and we work with coaches, we're highlighting consistently what effective communication means. Because if a coach is an ineffective communicator, they are at best an ineffective leader. What, what are some hints maybe you're giving? Because I know you're, you're talking about being an effective communicator. What, what are maybe a couple of things that you can, you can work on? So obviously, you know, composure in uncontrollable situations, things like that are big. What, what are maybe some other ones, Coach? I think that's something every one of us can get better at. Yeah, so, um, well, for, for football, I'll give you a, a couple of very specific examples. Uh, number one in football – if we, if in the military you spoke on the radio the way coaches yell in their headsets, you would get immediately fired. You would get, <laughs> yeah. and I'm not even trying. I'm not trying to make a joke about it either. I know. Oh. I know it's funny, 
but um, it's not even a joke. You would get fired if you were got on a radio and yelled the way coaches yell through their headsets in a another football game. You just would. Mm-hmm. For for one thing, your your commanding general would be s- sitting there, or your next higher authority would be saying like, "What you?" You're, you, you've lost it here. You're no longer focused on mission accomplishment. You're just focused on your own emotion, which is now deadly to your troops. So you're fired and I'll, I don't, I don't care. I'll, I'll find somebody else who can stay focused on mission accomplishment, right? I mean, that, that's just one thing. So very specifically for coaches, yeah, have, have very specific radio guidelines who talks when and what i mean 90 percent of the time you need to know down in distance right ball spot down in distance is what you need why everybody feels the need to jump on the radio every single play i mean it's madness to me and then you've got guys who actually do need to hear some of the information now they're forced to scream and yell over other people it's madness to me and there's just no reason for it and with those headsets as a player you're standing right next to a coach even if that coach isn't communicating, if you're standing there on the sideline, you can hear the madness that is going on inside that headset. How much confidence does that give you? Does that give you confidence that your coaching staff is, we've got the, we, hey, the situation is well at hand here, men, right? Does that give you confidence? No, it does not. So we really challenge coaches about their radio communications and the tone of their communications and, and how they're doing it there. The second one, the second piece, coach, that we highlight to players and coaches is what we term battlefield communication. And battlefield communication is, in in a nutshell, name, command, and volume. That's battlefield communication. Name, command, and volume. What we mean by that is when you and I talk, when we're talking right now, take, take the last sentence I just said, right? Which was, uh, when we talk, coach, I use your name at the end of the sentence. When we are having dinner, it's, hey, how was your day? You know, to your wife, right? Hey, how, how was your day, hon? Did you have a nice day, sugar? Was it a good day? Yes, I did. How was your day, love? You know, that's how, you know, that's how we talk, right? To, to, to your wives, to, to your kids, whatever, you know. Hey, hey, you know, how was your day today, big guy? You know, and he comes in the car. That's the way we talk. Again, I'd like to highlight when we work with coaches, we really stress the importance of not saying, hey, we need to talk more out there. Or, hey, I need you to be more vocal. No, that's what you have cheerleaders for, is we don't need to talk more. We don't need to be more vocal. We need to be more effective communicators. And specifically, shift left, Brady, shift right, Rowdy. It's Rowdy, two st- you know, shift left, Brady, shift right. The reason for that is we all love our names. In times of great stress, we have auditory exclusion. We start listening to certain key words in in times of stress. One of them always is our name, though. We've been hearing it since the minute, the second we were born. We've been hearing our name. 
And that, but because what we usually have from coaches and players is talking loudly. So instead of doing battlefield communication, they just talk loudly. So they're going to yell something, comma, Brady. Yell something, comma, Rowdy. And now you're turning your, you're out on the field and you turn your head to look to the sideline and say, what was that? Because the only word you heard was your name. Guys behind you, the corner, you know, the guys in the secondary yell, are yelling something out. They might yell your name at the end of whatever they're yelling. And now you're turning around saying, you know, hey, wait, wait, what was that? And your head is turned. And we all know what happens when your head gets turned, right? So it's going deep on you. So what we continuously stress is helping to develop the habits as both coaches and players to communicate with somebody's name first, then the command and make sure it's at the appropriate volume. Now, you know, for, for football, it doesn't really matter because volume will always be volume 11. So there's two points. Well, so you've gone into a bunch of these programs as, as you've talked. And so I'm, um, I'm assuming you've gone into some of these programs with, with the athletes and the coaches where uh, some of the coaches had, or players had a lot of pride in themselves an abundance of pride in themselves. And you came in and your program came in and said, look, you need to work on this, this, and this. And I'm sure you've, you've had some pushback from some of these guys, whether it be coaches or players, what are some things that you do with, with these guys when you do get that pushback, when they think, man, I'm already doing a good job, you're wrong, or, or whatever that is, especially I would assume with assistant coaches. The head coaches want you guys to come in, but I'm still sure there's some of those guys that didn't want to hear what, what they, you had to say to try to help them. Yeah, it's a great question, Rowdy. Well, let's talk about the coaches first, okay? First, what I talked about earlier about – don't ask your players to do something you're not willing to do yourself. I highlighted the fact that the program doesn't change your culture. It can simply help reinforce it or help you reinforce it even more so by maybe learning some of the things that we teach during our two days or during our season long engagement that we have with you. But we'll work with some programs and some teams where the coaches there might be one or two coaches out on the field with us as we're working with the team and the rest of the coaches kind of stay on the sidelines and they're on their phones constantly, or I don't know what. Well, players can see our, our coaches engaged in this process and coaches set the tone for the event. We work with other programs where in what we suggest to coaches when we work with teams is no, be right down next to our instructors with a notepad and pen. You don't have to do anything, but you can just write down how our instructors communicate. You, you can evaluate your players from a leadership perspective or teammateship perspective. And it might be the only time this year that you have that opportunity to do so where you yourself as the coach don't have to be doing anything. That's the program's job when you hire us, right? When those teams and coaches are doing that, at the end of the event, coaches will say, damn, uh, sorry. <laughs> They'll say, darn, you know, boy, I hired, you to, I hired you to work with my team. But, man, as good as it was for them, it was better for us. I mean, that's 
and, and with those coaches and those programs, our work with them has a huge impact, not because of the program, but because of the engagement of the coaches and then their ability to carry it forward, right? First and foremost, if your coaches aren't going to be engaged, it's like we, when we work and we talk to leadership councils or unity councils on teams, the most, the, the most influential guys on the team, as we explain to them prior to our work with teams, as a leader, there's no middle ground. You're either part of the solution or you're the problem. There's no middle ground as a leader. As a person in leadership is influenced by definition. As an influential person, you are either part of the solution or you are the problem. So first and foremost, before we talk about players giving us pushback, let's talk about coaches. If coaches aren't engaged in the process, then they're the problem. Mm-hmm. That's it. Simple as now, for players, for players, of, of course we get certain, certain guys that, that will give us pushback. Now, over the course of the 10 years, one of the ways that we've helped minimize that is prior to our work with most teams, we will meet with just the unity council or just the leadership council or whomever the coach says, hey, these are my most influential guys on the team. Now, scheduling always plays a part of this. With some, of the, with some teams, coaches can be very engaged, but it just doesn't work out, especially at the college level. They simply, it just doesn't work out timing for us to do this, but we try to do it. And to the extent that coaches and players' schedules allow it, uh, we do do this a lot, where we'll meet with those most influential players prior to us ever working with the team. We introduce ourselves. We talk to them. We get buy-in from those most influential players. Hey, what do you guys do well? Hey, what do you want to do better? What do you think we can do better to help us get to the next level that we want to get to? And over the course of the 10 years, we've done that more and more and more and more, especially in, in, you know, in the last few years. And it's really made a huge impact on cutting down on the lack of buy-in. Not that there's any, not that you don't have just as many players, you know, sitting in the back row thinking, who the heck are these guys? Like, screw them. Like, they ain't going to tell me I was a five-star. You know what I mean? I was, I was a four-star, right? Oh, there's probably just as many of those guys, but that's okay. Because the guy in the back row who's, you know, shaking his head, not paying attention, they might say, well, no, I'm just doing this just to the program. It's a lie. They're, they're lying to themselves and they're lying to their teammates because everything we do in life is habit forming, which means if you're not going to be, try to be, again, part of the solution on getting better, if you have an attitude of, well, no, only the guys that I decide are going to help me get better are going to help me get better, well, you're not going to get that much better in life. So, and that's just who you are as an individual. So we don't really need those guys. But the guys who have the most influence on the team, as long as those guys are sitting in the front row shaking their heads as we're talking, 
when the whole team gets there, as long as those guys are saying, hey, listen, guys, pay attention to this. As long as we get those guys, we're going to have a good event with the team. And, yeah, there'll be some pushback from, from some players. One of our development, our, some of our development as an instructor, as instructors, and, and I meaning my instructor's development, is, you know, in year one and year two, we would let that one or two guys ruin the event. The, our entire focus would be on trying to change one or two guys that at 16, 17, 18 years old, by and large, that's who they are. You're not going to change that attitude. Maybe, maybe there's an outlier that will change, you know, over the course of the next decade. But by and large, you're not going to change that attitude. So instead, I stay focused on the one guy who's got a bad attitude, two guys or three guys who have a bad attitude. Meanwhile, there's 80 guys out there who are doing everything right and want to get better. But because you're just pissed off at these one or two guys, you spend all your time yelling and screaming at two or three guys. Meanwhile, there's 80 guys out there doing everything they can to get better and you give them no time. That's a mistake that I made. That's a mistake that our instructors made. We've gotten better as instructors not to allow it to happen. Cap, uh, I want to take you back to to coaches because I think a lot of high school coaches kind of get, you know, stuck with some of these assistants or you have coaching changes and and you're trying to get everybody on the same page, you know, and and, and trying to get some of that buy-in. What what are some strategies you have for be it head coaches, be it coordinators to have that effective communication, but also – you know, are you trying to relate your experiences to show them like, hey, this is going to work? Or, you know, how are you getting those guys to, to buy in, to, to build, build into the program that we're trying to get, even though they might have some preconceived notions or they might have some things built up in their mind? And it's not going to be an easy thing for me to tell them how to live their life. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, right. It, there are some inherent challenges at, at every level of, of sport, right? It, it, every level is going to have different challenges, of course. One of, I appreciate at the high school level, um, you, you know, you're going to have coaches who they're not on one-year or two-year deals, right? The head coach isn't saying, yeah, well, yeah, you're going to one year. Well, you're going to go one year and we'll see every year type of thing, right? Like, I appreciate that. I think that at every level in any organization, whether you're talking about a high school football team, a high school softball team, a college football team, a college softball team, or corporate America, or a corporate team, I think that whenever the leader takes over an organization, I think it's imperative, not think, we know that it is imperative for that leader first and foremost to ensure that everybody in that organization starting with, and I'll use the high school football example for you, coach walls, because I know that that's who who most of your audience is here is that that high school football coach sits down with his position coaches and his or her position coaches and says, these are my core values. This is what I stand for. And this is what our team and our organization is going to stand for. A coach at the, 
near near you all I, I i know those are kind of fighting words because it's not in oklahoma it's actually in north texas but um you know seth luttrell at at north texas is a, is a great friend of mine um and and that's my privilege to call him a, a good friend he talking about a, a coach that's made me better seth luttrell has made me better uh not it, Yes, as a coach myself, as an instructor myself, more importantly, Coach Luttrell will make you better as a man just having the opportunity to associate with him. So, um, but what Coach Luttrell does a great job of and has done a great job of is from day one when he took over at, when he took over the Mean Green, it was in this organization – we're selfless, tough, and disciplined. That's who we are. We're selfless, we're tough, and we're disciplined. That's it. Now, coaches might think, yeah, okay, but what about like being men of integrity? What about being this? What about being that? What about that? How often do we run, do we go into schools, a school, not a team, just a school, and they've got 15 core values listed in their school. If you ask the principal of that school, what are your core values? That principal will say, well, we're this, we're that. Uh, and then wait, what is the other one? And Hey, what is that one too? Like, and by definition, 15 things cannot be core to your organization. By definition, core does not cover 15 things. If you want to make the argument, well, core can be four things. Okay. Make the argument, for four you may win it with me for four we we will be there will be a great divide on five so coach your is going to say look we're selfless this is what it means to be selfless this is what i think it means to be selfless we're tough this is what it means to be mean green tough and we're disciplined and what does it mean to be disciplined? I'm going to tell you what it means to be mean green, to be North Texas t- disciplined. That's where it starts, Coach Walls. For, at any organization, the coach clearly outlining what his or her culture stands for so that it's not some sort of nebulous feeling of, well, we kind of want to do this and we're that and we're that. No, this is who we are. And if somebody says, well, what about being people of high integrity or being this? Hey, look, I'm not saying those things aren't important, of course. But here, the non-negotiables are selfless, tough, and disciplined. That's it. The first thing I would suggest for your high school coaches who are listening is to think about what are your non-negotiables? What, what, what does it mean to be you? And I don't mean your organization, I mean you as an individual, as a head coach, what does it mean to be you? How would people, what adjectives would they describe you as? You can do it to yourself. Write down, write down three, that you, maybe four adjectives that describe you. The first one, that's a definite. <laughs> that's a definite. Think, ask your wife or your significant other or your partner to, to, to write down, hey, well, if you were to describe me, what are, how would you, what, what are some of the adjectives you would describe me as? Those are called our, va- our core values. 
and figure them out. Think about them constantly because those core values form the foundation of your culture as an organization. It's imperative for coaches at any level to, to, to be very articulate in, in, I'm sorry, very deliberate as, into deciding who they are as an organization and then very articulate in describing those core values to their coaching staff and highlighting to their coaching staff what that coaching staff does if they're representative of those core values and also what some of the consequences are if a member of that coaching staff isn't. Cap, I, I hate that we have to keep you on so long, but I've got uh, two more questions if you have the time. <laughs> okay. I, I, I could go forever, but if I can get two in, that'd be great. Um, yeah. Just going a little bit away from football, as a football coach, much as like yourself, you're, you're away from home all the time, right? You're, you're working a lot. And like you said, being a parent is should be the number one job for you as a man. So how do you balance that? Because it's something that I'm always trying to get better at and probably don't do a good enough job. What's a way that you balance that? Um, or maybe not balance is even the word, but how do you, being away so much, providing for your family, but also being that great father that, that you want to be, need to be? Yeah, Rowdy, I really appreciate that question because – I'm, I'm, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but I'm smart enough to know that nobody loves your house, your dog, or your kids as much as you do. So don't start talking pictures of them. Don't start talking about them constantly with, you know, strangers that don't know you, right? Like, so that's the only reason why during this last hour that we've spent together, I haven't mentioned my kids in every single answer that I've given you because nobody loves your kids as much as you do. And I got to make sure I, you know, I always remember that, <laughs> but let me be clear as far as, you know, what other, I don't want to, I hope I didn't say this and I don't don't want to come across as, you know, trying to tell everybody that they need that, you know, all your male coaches out there that they should be, you know, being a father should be their number one priority. Um, I feel for me, my number one priority is first being a great husband to my wife, to be clear, okay? Number one is to be a great husband to my wife. There's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, I'm very fortunate that my parents, uh, they worked at their marriage. You know, to say that they had a perfect marriage, they, they did not have a I don't know if, it, if that exists. Maybe it does. It doesn't with my wife and I, I can tell you that. But, but we work very hard at our marriage. And because of that, we have, um, we, there's bumps in the road for, for sure. But, but I'm the luckiest guy in the world that because she's my, she's my wife. And it's so important foremost to work on your marriage first. I think today you see a lot of parents, moms and dads who forget that, who instead are trying to be great dads and great moms first. And I appreciate that with young kids, obviously they're, they're a priority on some levels. I mean, I can't take my wife to go out to eat dinner every single time that I, I want to go out to eat dinner because yet she, she 
you know, feeds my daughter, right? I mean, there's, there's just some, there's some challenges there, right? So, but don't ever forget, for me, I, I try never to forget that. Number one is to be a great husband first. Um, I read a great book when I found out that we were having a daughter uh, called Stronger Fathers, Stronger Daughters. And most of it is kind of common sense, or at least I feel it's common sense. But there was a line in there that really struck a chord with me, which was, be the husband you want your daughter to marry someday. I think about that every day. I, I try to, to act that way. My wife might take exception to that, that that's not every day that I act that way. But, but I'll tell you that at least I'm, I am trying to do that. Um, but then, yes, obviously, m my father was a policeman. And we didn't have a lot of money growing up uh, as, as kids. We had everything we needed, not everything we wanted, okay, as a family. And my dad, he, he was, you know, he's a big guy. He's a big, strong, tough guy. Um, he was enlisted in the, in the military. Uh, he got out. He joined this Connecticut State Police. He was a Connecticut State Policeman for 25 years. And so now I give you that description. And probably most of your listeners are thinking like, oh boy, this guy's like really harsh, really rough, like j just how I'm describing him. And yup, there was definitely, we knew what was allowed and what wasn't allowed in our house. There's no doubt about that. By the same token, uh, my dad did the dishes every day. He vacuumed the house for my mom because my mom worked full time as well. He Admittedly, my dad never cooked, um, but, but he did, you know, he helped out around the house. He was always very loving, very affectionate, kissed, hugged us. I feel like, yep, there's some things differently that I would do with my dad than, than what my dad did with me, with my own son, but I'm very lucky that I had the dad that I had that I could model most of my behavior as a father off of, okay? The, the other thing, and this gets to your question, Rowdy, is... My dad worked a lot because overtime is how he <laughs> supported us, right? Sure. And overtime pay. But when my dad wasn't working, he was present. Now, I feel like it is too easy for us to not be working, but not be present with our families. And yes, we all do have to work. Uh, we, we do work a lot. One of the things that I've tried to do and that I continue to try to do it, I'm not perfect. I, I'm, I'm, it's something I continuously work on, though, is when I come home, I, I shut my phone off. I just shut it off. I appreciate that not all coaches have that luxury. I do. And that's why I don't want to say, hey, do this. Some people can't do that for whatever reason it might be. For me, I run a leadership development and team building company. I can shut my phone off. I, I, can, I, can, <laughs> I can get on a call at nine o'clock at night once my wife and my kids have gone to bed. I can, I can start up my phone and see what emails I've gotten since I got home at five o'clock. I can do that. So as far as the work-life balance, 
Uh, I really like Jeff Bezos's comments here recently about, you know, when you call it a balance, you're, you think of it kind of like as a scale where you're doing one and it takes away from the other or vice versa. Uh, and, and instead kind of look at it as a circle, as a continuum, right? Where the two things feed into each other. And for the most part, that's what I try to do. When I'm present with my kids, I'm present. That's awesome. That's, that's what, you know, that's great for me to hear. It's great for all of our, our listeners to hear. And then kind of my last one, my last question for you was, you did say that uh, everyone that was, maybe not everyone, but I think the majority, if not everyone in the program was from a military background. Um, obviously, me and Coach Walls both, it's something we've, we've actually talked about. And it, it's, you know, the service our, our military men and women give to us, um, are, are, is a, it's a huge deal to us. And, you know, maybe it's not to everyone, but to us, it's a big deal. My, you know, my grandpa was, was in the military. My brother-in-law was in Iraq and Afghanistan and, and is still in the military in Washington. So it's a big deal to us. Are, are you grabbing those guys to, to help you in the program because they, they, they do just know leadership from going through the military training? Is that the reason that you are doing that? Because maybe you don't have to necessarily even train them as much because they've got that from training through, through the military? Yeah, thanks. Well, Roddy, first of all, uh, for your brother-in-law, based on describing what he's done and now that he's in Washington, if he's in Washington, it probably means he's at the Pentagon. So tell him from me, I'm sorry, personally. No, I'm uh, sorry. Washington State. He's at a base. Oh, Washington, in Washington State. State. He's probably living a pretty good life then if he's out Yeah, in he, he's in the State. Army. He's in Washington State. I forget what base he's in. Yeah, sorry, oh, yeah, Washington yeah. State. Yeah. Well, then don't give him my thanks then because he's probably, <laughs> probably – it's, it's, you know, it's 7 o'clock. He's probably at some bar on, you know, on – in like some in the mountains right now so in yeah. the mountain peaks fishing i'm but, sure yeah no the uh, with the the men and women who work with me they one of our best in, one of our best instructors by the way was a pro baseball player uh he's the only instructor who does not have a military background and he's one of our best okay the and for for us, there are lots of people who send us applications to join the program. If you want to join the program, you come on as a contractor for a year during a tryout period where you learn who we are, we learn who you are, you learn how we do business. We learn if you're able and you fit into that culture. And you learn, is that a culture and program that I want to be a part of? We're very fortunate that way. We don't just have to do an interview and then hire somebody. We tell everybody, no, you have to work part-time or as a contractor with us before we do so. With that said, there are lots in fact most people don't last that year for one reason or another most of the people we work one event with two events with and they don't fit our culture hmm. and specifically we have a culture of accountability at the program that most people just cannot handle and what I mean by that is there 
isn't a day that goes by that people, to include me, are not getting held accountable to our standards as an organization. Not a day that goes by. We don't do a single event where at the conclusion of that event, we sit down and we have a knockdown drag out and, and say, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. This needs to be improved. You got to get better at this. We don't say it that this way. We say it that way. Get it right. You have to do that. Now, what that means is everybody gets held to the same standards and it's done on a continuous daily basis. Most people, a lot of, at least in our experience, it sounds good for a little while, hmm. but they really don't want continuous self-improvement. They, they really, well, they don't, they want it, but they're not willing to strain to get it. So it's a very unique individual who works with us full time and does so for any length of time. Now, as far as the military is concerned, the reason why we do that is I feel personally that our folks, the people that work with me are very intelligent, smart people, but they also, I shouldn't say but, I should say and, they also have led men and women in teams in the harshest environments. We don't have the opportunity. A coach is going to, even a new coach, is going to sit down. They're going to come into a new program. <laughs> they ain't going to sit down. They're going to come into a new program and be running, right, from the day they get there. But they're going to come into the new program, and they have time to develop trust with their student athletes. And that trust forms the foundation of every relationship. It allows their student athletes to believe in that coach and that coach to believe in those student athletes, to trust in whatever that coach's process is. In the, coach, in the case of Coach Luttrell, as we talked about, selfless, tough, and disciplined, right? They, that is developed over time. You have that time. For us at the program who are outside consultants, outside instructors, we're going to come in and in two days we have to develop that trust with you. Now, working with us is a season-long engagement, but it starts, that level of trust is formed during our experiential training, which we call Judgment Day. It's two days in duration. To gain immediate trust and credibility with the student athletes and coaches, it's very helpful to have the background of the instructors that we have at the program. To say, okay, I didn't play football at Texas. I didn't play football at Central Florida, at North Texas. I didn't play football at UNC or Stanford. I, I didn't play football at some of Nebraska, some of the teams that here that we're working with shortly or have worked with shortly, we, we, Arizona. We, we haven't done that. Nope, we haven't. No, we're not as good as athletes as you hear. But we're not here to talk for even 30 seconds about Khalil Tate at Arizona, how you become a better quarterback, how, how you throw a better ball, 
how you read a coverage better. That has nothing to do with what we're doing. Here, we're going to talk to you about how you can become a better leader. We're going to talk to you about how you can become a better teammate. Now, here's our background in where we developed our leadership, where we developed our teammateship. Now, you can decide if we've had the experiences that allow us to have your trust that we can help develop those skills and those attributes in you. That's why the people who work with me have a military background. With that said, as I said earlier, there are lots of people that are in the military who simply don't work with us because, again, because of our culture and who we are and that for us, everything is our culture because we can teach people how to do what we do. Who we are, we recruit it and keep it. That's what we're trying to do. As every as everybody is, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, Cap, you know, I, I just want to say, you know, thank you very much. Um, I, I got to play for Coach Sumlin at Houston when he was at Houston, and so I'm glad that he's uh, working with you. I wish he would have brought you on a year earlier uh, before going to Texas A&M. I, I've heard all those stories about Texas A&M as well. I didn't realize yeah. it was the same program, but um, that, that's awesome. I'm excited, and, and man, it was I'm sure Walls will say it too, but it was just me sitting here taking notes and learning as much as I could from you, uh, Cap. It, it was amazing. It was awesome. And thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. That's, that's a great story. I'm going to text Coach Sumlin now when you and I get off, Rowdy, and, and let him know that you and I spoke. I love Coach Sumlin. We've known each other for years now since he was at A&M. Um, and, um, yeah, what a great – I, you know, again, I talk about my six-year-old son and – Right now, right, uh, the sun rises and sets with, with his dad, thankfully, and his mom, but, I mean, with, with me, right, thankfully. Right. I know that's not always going to be the case. I don't know if he's going to be a football player or if he's even going to be an athlete. I, I don't know that, or at least good enough to play in college, right? But if he does, Coach Sumlin is the type of guy that I hope he can play for. So that's a great mentor to have and a great coach to have had. And I'll let him know that we spoke, but thanks. Yeah, no, thanks both you and coach Walls. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. If you have any follow on questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again, thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about run the power. And if you enjoy running the power, go get your shirt, long sleeve or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it will allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.